Instead of Hello PhD, uh, I guess I would have started a podcast about yacht sailing or... Yeah, it would be something <laughs> much more diaries, eyebrow. Diaries from my yacht. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we read some listener feedback on gender bias and talk a first-year grad student through his toxic rotation. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 19. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. How's it going tonight, Dan? It is fantastic, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Dan, we got some more listener beer this week. That is the sweetest type of beer. <laughs> Absolutely. Is I'm, it made from real listener? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'll read the label carefully. Um, this week, we got some beer from our friends in Kansas. Oh, we love Kansas. We love Kansas. Uh, strong listenership there. Um, this week we've got the Ad Astra Ale from Free State Brewing Company in Lawrence, Kansas. I'm detecting some Latin. This this could be a good beer for us. How's your Latin, Dan? Not great, but getting better. Well, I happen to know, because I can read the label, that Ad Astra comes from the Kansas State motto, Ad Astra per Aspera, which are Latin words meaning to the stars through difficulties. And by difficulties, they mean the atmosphere, roughly? I don't know. My astronomy is not I don't know great. what's between us and the stars. Probably a lot of things. But I tell you what, uh, what I do know, and that is this beer has a nice malty character to it. Yeah, this is, this is an ale. Very solidly, to me, it's in the brown ale flavor and look. I mean, if you like a brown ale from other places, you will like the Ad Astra. Absolutely, yeah. This is a solid... Uh, solid amber ale, and I know, Dan, you are trying to brush up on your hops varieties. Yeah, so do you know what's in this one? I do. This has the Northern Brewer, which I've heard of, and the Fuggles hops. Oh, I, I think we've brewed with Fuggles before, haven't we? Have we? I've probably eaten a Fuggle hop before. Not to be confused with Fraggles. Or Muggles. <laughs> Very different things. Yeah. Do not gonna, eat a fraggle. I was going to make a doozers reference, yeah. but I'm not sure anyone, not many of our listeners <laughs> I think would know what I'm talking yeah. about. Fraggle, Dan, fraggle Rock people, Jim Henson, it was the 80s. Yeah, look it up. Look it up. Uh, but I will say, uh, Lawrence, Kansas, that's the University of Kansas. And Dan, when I think about this podcast, actually, um, there's a little influence from the University of Kansas in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, how long, we've talked about doing this podcast for a while. Um, yeah two, three years now. This was just an idea floating around our head. And about a year ago, I was fortunate enough to go visit the University of Kansas um, to do a collaboration on some outreach uh, a program called DNA Day that we were working on. While I was there, I got to meet lots of grad students and lots of postdocs um, there and have lots of conversations similar to the ones that we have on the podcast. So you realize that this is a universal truth that graduate school has the same challenges? Yeah, you know, I feel like the grad students and postdocs of, of UNC have to hear me talk about these things all the time, uh, but realizing that these are conversations that need to be had more broadly, and I don't know, I just came back really motivated that we should do this. Yeah, that's cool, and I've been to Lawrence, Kansas, so this is an exciting homecoming for us. You were a keynote speaker there back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah. So, um, Dan, also, besides some beer, we got some listener feedback to our Gender Bias show. Yeah, let's hear about it. All right, so this came in 
from a postdoc, and her name is Kate. And so I just want to read uh, read what she said. She kind of had three three main thoughts on that episode. So we kind of take these one at a time. I was finally able to catch up on Hello PhD this week, and I thought finally. <laughs> And I thought that the episode on gender bias was very thought-provoking. I definitely do feel like there is a degree of gender bias in the sciences. In fact, I took one of the tests that you had linked, and I had a moderate trend towards men in science over women in science. Kind of disappointing, but I guess it's reality. Yeah, I hope everybody went and took one of those tests. Did you, Dan? Yeah, yeah, I've taken them in the past, and um, I was gonna do, I'm about to do the science one. I didn't get time to do it this week. Why don't we actually take this right now, and then we'll jump back on the microphone and give our results. And lie about our results. <laughs> oh, I am a completely unbiased individual. Okay, I'm having no idea what's going to happen. Let's, let's do this. Okay, well, that was interesting. Uh, we broke the internet. <laughs> First of all, everybody really should get on here and, and do this. This is this is fascinating, and it only takes only takes a matter of minutes to find out just how big a jerk you are. Yeah, I had a I really struggled with this one because I was kind of half talking while I was taking it, which is not a good idea. Um, so I made quite a few mistakes, but I ended up with the the moderate uh, bias where I associate male with science and female with liberal arts. I guess based on the fact that I could do it easier when the two were sorted the way my brain thinks they are sorted. Yeah, I'm actually feeling very sheepish and wanting to lie because according to mine, it says your data suggests a strong association of male with science and female with liberal arts. Yeah, but I mean, here's the thing. We talked about this. It's not that the problem would be saying there is no bias at all in any person and we're all just objective truth holders. And the reality is we're not. So... I'm not too upset. Kate even said she got a moderate trend. So, and and I think this this result holds across a lot of different implicit biases, um, not just women uh, judging other women in science in a in a negative way, but also African Americans judging African Americans in a negative way in some tests. Um, and I think it holds across different biases. Yeah. So um, I will edit out my actual results later. Um, <laughs> but no fair. But for now, let's hear. It. So Kate also went on to say. I think a major thing that can cause gender bias in science is the drive for publications in order to get funding. Researchers may favor men over women because of, unfortunately, the idea that women will get married and have children, therefore requiring more time out of the lab. And the more time you're out of the lab, the less productive you are, resulting in less papers, right? Writing it down, I feel like a terrible person to even think that when I myself am a woman. Yeah, I think that's interesting that she tied it to the number of papers that you publish if you decide to have children. To me, it feels like the bias would come into play when uh, the hiring committee is directly deciding to hire this woman or this man. Are they thinking in the back of their mind, oh, she's going to you know, have to leave and have kids and have less time to devote to this? I mean, they may not even you may not even have had kids yet, but the bias of that committee is still putting you in that situation. Well, and I think not just faculty, but you know, maybe PIs thinking about which postdocs to hire, right? Because we know just in general that age range that postdocs tend to be in is often prime time to start families. And so I think there's likely some bias that could exist there. Maybe as if faculty are 
especially competitive labs, are trying to choose between male candidates and female candidates. Yeah, and this is not just in science. I mean, this is this is an illegal question to ask in any industry if you are hiring a woman. So thinking about having kids or, you know what I mean? Like that is totally against the law. Yeah, but you know what we're talking about here is not sort of legally whether people are asking, but what are people actually, what's factoring into people's decision-making when making yeah. hiring decisions? Um, and, and you know, Dan, some universities have made some progress here. Um, there are institutions that will stop the tenure clock um, for for women um, in having families. Um, and so that's a good what thing. It, that means they pause it? Like you can start over? What does that mean, the tenure clock? Yeah, so normally you would have a certain amount of time before you would be up for tenure and there would be an expectation to have accomplished a certain amount of things, whether it's publications or grants. Uh, but the thought that that clock could stop, um, you know, if you were to have start a family, have children. And so, so that's a very progressive thing, but unfortunately not universal. Um, so the last thing Kate said was, I had a couple of other thoughts while listening to this episode. When like, I was, what a terrible <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Those no. were really cool Halloween sound effects. Yeah, that's probably what she was thinking. That's probably what she meant. When I was an undergrad, my PI was male. For graduate school and my postdoc, both of my mentors have been women. I think that working for female mentors has been both challenging and rewarding. I feel as though since they have had to work so hard to prove themselves in the biomedical science field, they put a lot of pressure on women in their labs to be successful. They are demanding, difficult, and unrelenting. But in the long run, it feels so rewarding because it reminds me that they have seen enough in me as a woman scientist to push me to my limits and allow me to become the best that I can be. Yeah, it's interesting to think about how um, a female PI would treat a female postdoc differently, perhaps. I mean, obviously, we have one experience. Um, we don't get to try it both ways. But I wonder if other listeners have had this experience where they've worked for um, male mentors and female mentors and had a different experience because of the the expectation of those mentors and also their desire to to push someone like them to succeed Kate, thank you for the feedback. And again, we always love to hear what you guys think about these topics. You can email us, podcast at hellophd.com. And, uh, you know, if you write to us, we will read your, read your comments on the air. If you've got a good story to tell, we'd love to interview you. Absolutely. Because we don't want this to just be us talking all the time. I mean, we do like to talk. We do. Uh, but we would also like to talk to you. Absolutely. So, Dan, we have a question that's come in from a listener. Okay. And... My turn to read. So this comes from Marcus. He's a first-year graduate student. And he said, This summer, my first lab rotation was in an HHMI lab in the PI... This is a lot of uh, acronyms here. Howard Hughes Medical Institute Lab. And the principal investigator was both non-existent and absolutely poisonous. Furthermore, their caustic attitude bled into the rest of the lab. It seemed like the rest of the staff withheld information so as to throw you under the bus during lab meeting. This experience has led me to reconsider my position as a grad student as well as a scientist, how do you handle a bad lab or mentor? This, this, sounds, this is terrible. This could have been our Halloween episode. It probably should have been. It's it's like people are, are going against their own lab mates in the lab meeting and trying to hurt them. Yeah, this does not sound like a, a very productive lab culture uh, that promotes success and well-being of those involved. No, I'm really curious as to how you throw somebody under the bus in lab meeting. I guess it's like, you know, we've got contaminated primers and it was Jim. Well, you know, I wonder 
maybe if it's an environment. So it sounds like, you know, an HHMI lab that, you know, that implies it's a big name PI, a very established PI. I wonder if it's some environment where everybody's trying to one up each other and seem extra smart by making others seem kissing up to the boss. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe some kind of dog eat dog lab culture or something like that. Well, and it's it's weird to think that the PI is non-existent and poisonous. I mean, so the one implies that they're just not around, and the other implies that they are fully present and making everybody's life bad. Yeah, I think, you know, the take-home is Marcus was not a happy individual in yeah, this lab Yeah, not a good first rotation, for sure, as a grad student. Well, first of all, I think there's some good news here. Okay. The good news is that Marcus said this was his lab rotation, and so the way graduate school, most of these programs work, you get multiple rotations, maybe three, and then you pick the lab you want to join. Well, I think our first advice <laughs> would be unanimously, Marcus, don't join this lab. Do not join this lab. <laughs> you know, if you take the test drive and the car is belching smoke, it pulls to the right and there aren't any tires, like get out of the car. Yeah, so are we done with this question? I Should we end no. the episode now? No, we're not done. I mean, do you, is this a really common thing? Is it is it common to find these really toxic, bad labs? I, I have my experience with a handful, and nothing has been the way he describes it. I think they're out there. I work a lot with students and hear a lot of stories, and, and definitely there are situations. You know, I think there are some situations where a lab is not a good fit for a specific individual, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And so a lab that's toxic and poisonous to one person, another individual may thrive or do just fine. Yeah, there. maybe maybe they're more conniving and, you know, it's like the Game of Thrones. Yeah, perhaps they have the gene that makes them resistant to that particular brand of poison. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but there certainly are labs and PIs that really have these cutthroat environments. Your goal is to become the spider of that lab and have all the information <laughs> on everybody else and use it to your advantage. And, and, you know, some people are just drawn to big names, high-profile publications, and the environment is irrelevant. Yeah, I I guess that's true. Um, for you, Marcus, it sounds like this is not your case. Um, please don't try and fix it. You're not going to be able to. Just get out. Yeah, I agree. And be glad for rotations. And, and use the information to find one that is better for your second rotation. Yeah, and, you know, one thing that I think is important is finding out the environment that's not for you is just as important as finding an environment that is for you. And so this seems to be a very extreme example, but that lab rotation process is so important and such a good thing. And so you can really determine through that process, you know, what are traits of a PI, what type of mentorship style really fits with my, with my working style, what type of environment is good for me? Yeah. I wonder if he in retrospect could have noticed some warning signs so that the next time he sees those warning signs, he runs like hell before he gets involved. I mean, I wonder if, if you kind of go meet the PI and everybody in the lab acts a certain way or, you know, maybe there's certain characteristics of that PI or that lab that might tend to lead to this type of environment. I don't know. I don't know the answer in this case. Yeah. I mean, I guess if there's an unfortunate thing, it's that Marcus burned a rotation, you know, on this lab. Yeah, you it's get three. Not- it's, it's not without consequence so you know i guess one piece of advice that that we could give from this is if you have the chance before choosing a lab to join for rotation even is don't just have the 30 minute meeting with the pi but if you have a chance 
to talk to some grad students who have been in that lab, who are in that lab, do that. Talk to some other people as well. Get some advice from, you know, if you have some some people in your, your program, some administrators run your program, maybe get their feedback on a few different PIs and ask questions not just about the science, but what's the mentorship track record of that of that lab, of those labs you're considering. Would it be weird to go sit in on a lab meeting or two? I mean, is that totally not done? I think that's very fair is, is to ask PIs. Because it's not proprietary information. It's not as if you're going to like violate some intellectual property by being in lab meetings. You know, I've actually heard of PIs and I had a, actually when I was choosing lab rotations, Dan, back in the day. Please sign this NDA before sitting <laughs> in our lab meeting. No, I had, a, I had a PI that did just that. He invited me to sit in on his lab meeting before I decided because he knew I was between a couple different labs and um, so I don't think that's at all out of the question. And in fact, if a PI, if that's important to you and a PI balks at that and says, no, I'd prefer you not to sit in on my lab meeting, maybe that's enough information that you, you need to know. I'm thinking back to some of my lab meetings and, and I bet you, you could have determined a lot about the lab dynamic. So let's say you're sitting against the wall, kind of out of it. Um, you find out not only what style of lab meeting they have and what they expect. So is it the type of lab meeting where one person presents their research from the last six weeks, or is it everybody kind of gives a little bit of an update about what they're doing? Um, you'll learn what is the progress and what is the expectation of that lab. Um, and you will get to see the dynamic of, you know, throwing Jim under the bus because he contaminated the primers before you, before you get involved. Yeah, that's true. Um, but you know, one, th- one thought I had and, and something I've seen before is I think choosing a lab, in some ways, especially choosing rotation can be like choosing a house. Have you, have you been, Dan, you're doing some house shopping. I'm house shopping. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's sort of like, all houses look great in photos. They look terrible (laughs) when you get there. Well, the importance of going to the lab meeting, but what you want to pay attention to similar to the house, you can always, you know, the paint color might change, the carpet might change, but you want to know what about the structure? Is the structure okay? Are the fundamentals? Is there black mold in, in the walls of your lab? Yeah. Absolutely. And and so what I mean by that is what you want to be careful of is not say, oh man, I did this rotation and, you know, the senior grad students are super cool and the postdoc is great because this is more of a long game, right? You're going to be yeah. there five or six years and as you know, from being in a lab long-term, there's a lot of turnover. The people will change. A lot of things will change. And so you don't want to join a lab just because you like a couple people who are going to be graduating two years from now. So you can kind of play out not just what is the lab like right now, but what where do I see it going in the next two, yeah. three, four years? Or is no one graduating and no one's projects are getting done, so you're going to be living with those 1960 shag carpets for the rest of your time in that house? Yeah, absolutely. Um to take a metaphor way too far, but that's what I'm thinking about. I mean, because you do have both. You have labs where people are going to move on and you really want to be comfortable with the PI and with the nature of the work and the type of, of work. You will become the new carpet, I guess. You know, the best people actually to talk to is if you have access to people who have recently left the lab, maybe they've graduated. Perfect. Those are the people who will be the most upfront and honest with you because they don't have any skin in the game anymore. They can be completely open and honest without <laughs> any fear of repercussions. Yeah. I After guess. I sell the house, I'm willing to tell you everything that's wrong with it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about rotations, Dan. And, and one thing that, you know, I want to address with, with Marcus's question and, you know, he clearly had a bad rotation experience and it was his first rotation, you know, your first time in the new place. And, and what he said was his, his sort of last sense was this experience has led me to reconsider my position as a grad student 
and as a scientist. That is a big thing, Dan. I'm sure I've said this before on the podcast, but you know, I really hate to hear when someone loses their passion for science because of someone else. This is one of your causes. I mean, it's one of the things that you that really kind of sets you off when um, a, a bad experience because of the structure of something of, of graduate training or because of some b- piece of bad luck, um, now the person leaves science altogether. You should never abandon your goals or your career interests because of someone else. Instead, abandon those other people, right? Ditch them. <laughs> but so I guess that's one thing I definitely wanted to say is don't let this one situation, this one person, and actually whoever you are out there listening, if there's that one person, whether it's someone in your lab, a colleague, or your PI, really try to parse out, is it the science that I hate? Or is it this situation, this environment, this person that's really, really dragging me down? And try to separate those out because if it's that person, you can always change your environment, right? No need to abandon your career plans just because you're in the wrong environment. Yeah, yeah. Cut out the cancer, don't kill the patient. Absolutely. You know, I read this question and I had, you know, my heart went out to Marcus that I actually really remembered my own start into graduate school. And, you know, I came from a smaller liberal arts school and, and when I started at UNC, this was my first experience ever in a big research institution. And my first rotation was not the best experience either. It was not a good fit. There was clearly, it didn't take long for me to realize there was some real dysfunction. That's you being nice. Not, not <laughs> the best fit is you being nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it didn't take long to peel back the carpet and see some real dysfunction between the PI and the graduate students in the lab, especially. But, you know, when that's your first experience, you have nothing else to compare it to. And so it was really easy for me to say, oh, wow, you know what? I really thought I loved research back in the comfort, the comforting. But researchers are terrible, terrible people. Yeah. Yeah. If my small liberal arts school, but now maybe big research school, maybe it's just not for me. And I actually thought about leaving. I mean, just like Marcus did. See, I, and you said I was the first one to question my career. You actually did it much earlier. I absolutely. Uh, and you can, you can ask my wife about this. I was looking up other graduate programs and professional schools during my first two months of graduate school. What, actually, what did you want to do? You know, I thought about being a dentist. Oh, you would have been so good. <laughs> yeah. Instead of Hello PhD, uh, I guess I would have started a podcast about um, ways about yacht sailing or... <laughs> yeah, it would be something much more <laughs> diaries, eyebrow. Diaries from my yacht. Yeah. Uh, You'd be hunting lions somewhere. But you know what I will say is, is Dan, eventually, you know, when I... I did the my rotation in the lab that I eventually joined, and within the first couple days, I just knew, okay, this is where I want to be. I feel comfortable here. My gut told me this is this is a good fit for me, and then and then all was well. Yeah, it, it was not this situation, but it didn't mean I never want to do research again, or I don't like science, or I mean, you would have been, you would have been maybe entertained as a dentist for about six weeks, and then you would have been <laughs> tired of it. Absolutely, but very rich. Very, very rich. You can <laughs> cry into your pile of money. So, Marcus, hang in there. When you pick your future rotations, stay away from anything that smells remotely like this current lab, and yeah. you'll be okay. And let us know how the second rotation goes. We we do like to keep up with people who write into the show, um, and we like to give updates. So let us know how it goes. Yes, keep in touch. Dan, what do you have for the word of the week? We had, we had such a controversial etymology puzzle for last week. So the clue was, as you'll remember, I'll, I'll read the original clue and then the clue we debated about for a long time. 
Um, the original clue was peanuts grow underground, but prenuts are from what entirely different kingdom? Now, you and I went around in circles about whether it should be kingdom or domain. And and do you have a defense of one or the other? You know, I think I think you could make a case either way. I think I'm going to go with domain. Okay, so n- do not write to us. It should have been domain. <laughs> so first, Dan, why don't you give us the answer, and then we'll we'll discuss this. Okay, so the answer was prokaryote, and it comes from Greek pro, which is before, and karyon, which is nut or kernel. And it, it is a reference to the, and a contrast to the eukaryote, which means a true or good nut or kernel, referring to the nucleus. I feel like there's a little bit of bias going on with these word origins, Dan. As a bacteriologist who spent the vast majority of my research career studying prokaryotes. Pre-nuts. And not what you call the true good nuts. Or good nuts. <laughs> you don't like that I'm one? offended by your characterization of my nuts. <laughs> Here's the thing. You, had, you studied these things, but you had no idea... I mean, I, I think it's helpful. So now you're going to remember for the rest of your life, whether it's a prokaryote or a eukaryote that has a nucleus, right? I hope I hope that people listening, maybe we've got some undergrads listening. Now you'll never forget it. But this is this is where the Greek takes you. Are you ready for next week's very special clue? What's the clue? What chemical compound gives Indonesian red algae desserts such a sweet flavor? I'll read it again. What chemical compound gives Indonesian red algae desserts such a sweet flavor. If, you know, I'm looking for a scientific word described by the clue, and once you get it, you'll find that the literal meaning of that science word is a phrase in the clue itself. If you think you know the answer, email it to puzzle at hellophd.com, and I will randomly select a winner from all the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler an Amazon gift card. And your odds of winning are quite high. Did you know that we had our first second-time winner? Oh, we did. Yeah, I... We have some very consistent puzzlers that send it in every week, and and the odds are very good. I mean, we're not talking about a one in a million chance. We're talking about one in some small number of chances. So if you think you know the answer, send it in, and you have a, the best odds of your life of winning a, a sweepstakes. And Christmas is coming, so you could start stockpiling those Amazon gift cards. That's right. Very useful this time of year. Clearly, the reason I don't enter is because I am a host of the Hello PhD podcast and not because I have no clue what the answers are. Yeah, you're, you're being very kind by not entering. I appreciate that. Dan, this was a great show. Lots of lots of listener involvement this week, which we love to see. We would love more of it. So if you have comments on past episodes or ideas for future episodes, send us an email, podcast at hellophd.com. We love to read your tweets, so if you're on the Twitter, you can reach us at HelloPhD. You can also find us on the Facebook page if that's your thing. Um, Josh, thanks for talking. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Pop quiz, hotshot. There's another old movie reference. <laughs> I don't know that one. That's Speed. You remember Speed? Is that the one with the bus? Yeah. I never saw that. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe that? Hey, this weekend. Okay. That was... Uh, Fraggle uh, Rock Marathon and Speed. What was the actress in that? She was uh, Miss Sand- Congeniality. Sandra Bullock. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Sandra Bullock. Yeah. So, and Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah. That's right. It's on my list. Along, What was the other movie I was going to see? Fraggle Rock. <laughs> the movie. This is the movie portion of Hello <laughs> PhD. Thank you for listening. Yes. Two thumbs sideways. <laughs> <laughs>